following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. A question. Unfortunately, that too many people have to ask and answer these days. How do I find a good church? Hear from a lot of people who have been for decades attending a solid Bible teaching church. When all of a sudden, some things start to change. There's a new type of music. There's a new decorating scheme in the sanctuary. The pastor's wearing new attire that's probably about 20 years older for him than it actually should be. And suddenly, people find themselves feeling like they just got their church carpet ripped out from underneath them. Jesus founded the church. So yes, Christian, you have to attend church. As Spurgeon has said, don't go where there is fine music, grand talk, and beautiful architecture. Go where the gospel is preached and go often. Life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor Walt, this past weekend you were dealing with 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and that's kind of the passage it talks about the last days and and you said that we're in the last days the last days of the last days how did you put that peter gets up on the day of pentecost which is the day the church was born the day the holy spirit fell and he quotes from joel and he says this is what is fulfilled in the book of joel in the last days i will pour out my spirit and then i also mentioned a verse from first john Dear children, we are in the last hour. So we are in the last days. Now there will be the last, last days. But from the birth of the church to the return of Jesus, those are the last days. And we mix that up sometimes because Paul is talking about the fact that there will come false teachers, there will come false teaching. Well, that's going to be all the way through church history. It's not a sign of the last, last days. It's just something that the church has to deal with. So whenever we have false teaching or some false church movement, people start thinking, oh, Jesus is coming. No, that's just a normal part of the fact that Jesus said false Christ will come all throughout. He's warning people to pay attention, don't get distracted because something, some major world event is happening. And one of the things that we see right now, and I say is just because we have a pandemic doesn't mean Jesus is coming. A lot of other terrible things have happened in world history. We've got to keep our eyes open. I always say the last sign is the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. That's the ultimate sign. You also made reference to the fact that even though the last days are days of deception, you said that deception starts with our identity. You said possessions, occupation, wounds, race, all of that is where people get their identity. And that's where deception begins. Define that further, would you? Yeah. Take, for example, the issue of race. A lot of people find their identity in race, and then something happens, like the riots and so forth we've seen in our own city, and the pendulum swings the opposite direction. And we start doing things in the name of racial reconciliation, 
that are not Christian. And so you have to make sure that your identity is founded on Christ. And then I use the illustration of the build, Jesus illustration of building your house on a firm foundation. If you build on anything else other than Christ, when a test comes, you might be able to get by for a little while. But when the real test comes, that's when you tell the true nature of your foundation, the security of your foundation. And we see this a lot in in uh, different areas. If you've probably seen this in ministry too. When people, they have like a, a sensitivity or a sore spot to a particular issue, whatever it might be, and, and it might be to do with their gender, and they're just always wearing this their emotions on their sleeve. And anytime somebody says something, even though they mean it a certain way, it's like code for violating my little pet peeve. And that goes back to identity. Uh, Certainly woundedness is a big part of that because if I'm wounded, I'm always going to be looking for that sensitivity. I'm always going to be thinking the worst of the situation or the worst of other people instead of really opening up and learning to love people and be free in Christ and really be a productive and healthy part of the body of Christ. Deception not only is an identity, it's also an ideology. And some people's ideology is, and you made this point, you said that people think that they can cheat death, whether it's by science or just ignoring it, whatever it might be, they're going to cheat death. And yet that is really the ultimate deception, isn't it? That thinking that, well, you know, I'll never die. Even though I think they know they will, but somehow they put it out of their mind so it's not something they have to deal with. That, to me, is deception, which is what you pointed out. Yeah, absolutely. And we live in a culture with the greatest medical care, health care in history. And we fooled ourselves. We think there's a cure for everything. And there isn't. Mm-mm. And around us, we've been faced with a lot of death. Mm-hmm. Just hearing of somebody a few days ago, a young girl that I know, mother was diagnosed with cancer. I'm not sure how long ago. She wasn't feeling well. They put her in the hospital on Saturday, and Sunday she was gone. Really? Just like that. Just wow. I know mm-hmm. they don't really know what happened. And then I heard of another story just even this morning. Guy got COVID and had a heart attack and died, and they think somehow it was related to COVID. You know, 80 years of age, of course, some people don't live past 80, but the point being, there's a lot of death around us, and and still, we just kind of have this idea that either it's not going to happen to us, or we can hide out and we can avoid it. But this is a time when people, especially in the church, need to think about your life and think about what you're investing in, because it could all be gone tomorrow, every bit of it. You can't take anything with you when you go. We know that. We've heard that. But really, this idea of what a Christian is in our culture, that you don't have to give up anything to follow Jesus. In fact, following Jesus is going to improve your life. But there are a lot of verses that that tell us otherwise. Paul said, in this world, world, you will have many trials, many trials. And I heard it said many years ago, either you're going into a trial or you're coming out of one. Mm -hmm. One or the other. That's the part of the Christian life. And it's a part of life overall. And we want to make sure that we're preparing for our afterlife. And that's not a part of the American mindset. We don't think about eternity. We just think about here and now. 
and we excuse our behavior because we think we're going to live forever. And we think that we're, I, I know that COVID has shortened the life expectancy in America by one full year now. Really? That's mm. pretty significant. Mm-hmm. That one year you spread it out, it gets thin, but then you start thinking about, hmm, there's a lot of people, even young people, who have died of COVID and we can't have, we don't seem to be able to get a grip on it and figure out how this thing is working and uh, and how it operates. But then the other part of it is everybody just, so many people are just so frozen with fear and just thinking at any second I can get this thing and I can die. But then my question is, what are you doing about it? Mm-hmm. What's your What's your plan? What are, are you just going to sit and wait until something happens and you're gone? Or are you going to live your life and you're going to make it count for Christ? Make every second count for Christ. You know, do you think, Pastor Walt, that God has anything to do with this delusion or this deception? And, and the reason I'm asking is because you used a verse that really states that God will send a delusion. So how can God send a delusion? Now, here's the verse you used. It's 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. It says, for this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth, but delighted in unrighteousness. Now, that sort of smacks against who we think God is, right? Because God doesn't tempt anybody, right? But yet, here's a delusion. It says clearly, God sends. Explain that for us. We come to the point in our life where our conscience is just useless. And in our passage on First Timothy, Paul is talking about how it's being seared. The Greek word is katariazo, which is of course, the English word to cauterize, and you cauterize something and then you just take all the feeling out of it. And that's exactly what's happening when a person just year after year of their life, they just ignore and they come to the point where they are beyond hope. And then God says, this is what you want. I'm going to give it to you. Hmm. And the reason he does that is because they love the, the world. They love the lies. They don't want anything the truth. It's too late for them. It's like Pharaoh. You get sign after sign after sign, and God says, there's nothing that's going to wake up Pharaoh, and I'm going to turn Pharaoh inside out for my glory. And then it goes on to say, Pharaoh hardened his heart to God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Because God says, all right, then I'm going to use you for my glory. I'm going to at least use you for some purpose to glorify my name. And We see people in our culture whose consciences are seared, and God has given them over. So talk to me about searing. What does that mean, actually? Is that the cauterization you're talking about? I mean, searing is something that, you know, you do with meat, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what a seared conscience is. Explain that, if you would. It's become useless. Like, if you, um, you know, if you had a wound and you cut your hand— and then you get a hot iron back in the ancient times. And, and even if you're out in the wilderness and you've got a serious problem, if you've got a cut, the only way to stop that bleeding is to cauterize. So you burn that. And then the effect is you get the scar tissue all around and then you can't feel anything in that area. It's in some ways a lack of emotional response, but it's just your brain stops working. And now you can no longer tell right from wrong. And what is God doing in our culture right now in America? You just see things and you just, you're baffled and you say, how in the world could we believe this? How could we buy into this? 
And why are so many people accepting these viewpoints? Because they go against all rationality. They're not even logical to think about them. Well, it takes a seared conscience to get to that point. And what God does is God is going to say, well, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to use this for my glory. If you are beyond hope and you have completely given yourself over and there's no hope for you, God says, I'm going to glorify myself through you. And how does he do that? One of the ways he does is he'll help a society wake up. It's a wake-up call for us. And God says, now look what's what happening to these people. Look how your your culture is being destroyed. I was watching a report on the news last night in our city, in Minneapolis. We've had 600 carjackings this year. 600? 600. Oh. Annihilated the record. It's, mm. it's not even close. And when they first started to happen, they said, we're not going to prosecute this because it's a crime of poverty. And it was that kind of ridiculous thought. It's sure. not a crime of poverty. It's a sin. Yes, It's right. a sin. And so now these young people, 16, 17 years of age, they're getting locked up and they're getting around five-year sentences. They'll probably do two, and a, two, two and a half years. But if they would have intervened in the beginning and stopped it with some kind of rationale and were tough on it, these young men probably wouldn't be going to prison for the next five years. Mm-hmm. Our culture, is, our society is waking up. I don't know how long it'll last or what'll become of it, but they're starting to realize that these stupid ideas like defund the police is just a dumb idea. You can't have a society without law and order because people are sinners. They're not good. And I hope and pray that ultimately that will drive more people to Christ. Well, you hope so, but it is a little bit insane of what some of the things that we are seeing happen, like what you just explained. So when you talked on Sunday about doctrine, you said that there are, the reason there is error is because there's a lack of truth, and truth is exposes the air. So truth, obviously, is what we teach. It's the doctrines in which we believe. Our associate pastor here at church came in here earlier today, and he said this. He said, what makes a doctrine? I mean, yes, it's teaching, but how do you know that the teaching is correct? How do you know we aren't teaching something that's not wrong? And he gave an illustration. For example, let's just say the prosperity message. That's a doctrine, right? It's a doctrine that people teach all the time in the church. So what makes a good doctrine, Pastor Walt? How do we know that what you're teaching, as far as doctrine is concerned, is correct? That's a very good question, because even, I would say, the short answer is sola scriptura, the scripture alone. It has to line up with the scripture. The scripture is God's revelation of truth to the world. And what you have to do is what I talked about on Sunday. These are words we don't use very often, but most of our preaching and teaching in the church today is eisegesis. I have a thought or an idea, and I go to the Scripture, and I look for something that confirms my belief. So I'm trying to impose into the text my preconceived belief. But true preaching and teaching is exegesis. We pull out of the text the true meaning and that takes some skill. You have to look at the context. You look, have to look at the history. You have to look at who's writing. And just on the prosperity alone, let's take that for example. Look at the life of Jesus. And then we'll say, well, Jesus became poor that we become rich. All right, then look at his first disciples. They gave up everything to follow Jesus, all of their worldly goods. 
And they heard the times when Jesus told people like the rich young ruler, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. So you have to look at the scripture and say, what did these people do? How did they live out the gospel of Jesus Christ? And beyond that, other rules of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of biblical interpretation. A lot of these tools have to be used. You can't just take one verse in isolation and say, well, look at this person. They were they were rich. But then when you really study the scripture, you find out with a rational and, for lack of a better word, scientific approach to studying scripture, the, the case for something like the prosperity gospel is pretty thin. And yet it's uh, it's part of that idea that out of Scripture comes these things that people have inserted, right? I mean, somebody inserted this idea that we're supposed to live prosperous lives. Well, look, as you said, there's a verse for it. There's a concept here for it. And they build a whole doctrine around that, which is wrong. But that's deception. And that's probably a deception that's very dangerous because they are using the Bible for somewhat of their support. Well, one of the things that you said very emphatically at the end of your sermon, you talked about a question. You asked a question, actually. You said, are you in Christ? And it was very penetrating because you went on to explain what that meant. But for our audience today, what do you mean by are you in Christ? That is our position. So I'm speaking positionally. We are in Christ, and that's what Scripture is telling us. So even though we're still here on earth, we are positionally with Christ in the heavenly realms. We have a job to do, and we have an assignment. But we have to think, where is where are we positionally? Where are we truly supposed to be? It's one of those already-not-yet doctrines. So we are already in Christ, and yet we still have the, the ultimate fulfillment of that phrase, that idea, when Jesus returns, to be in Christ. But we are to live in Christ, just as we are sanctified, but we grow in our sanctification. Justified, we are growing in justification. We are even called glorified, but none of us feel like glorified. We feel like we're deteriorating on the outside. Paul says, I'm deteriorating on the outside, but I'm being renewed on the inside. It's the same way with being in Christ. But it's a great way to look at not just where am I positionally with Christ, but how am I living out in this world? Am I living in Christ? Am I living through him? Is he, and it goes back to the issue of identity again, where is my identity and where is my foundation? It has to be in Christ alone. Because Paul is issuing a warning here. He's saying the Spirit expressly says that in later times, which we're in, there will come some and they will be teaching the doctrine of demons. That's a sobering thought in our culture because we just discount the activity of of demons in the West. In the South and in the East, they readily understand the concept of demonic oppression and possession. We don't get that. And certainly we would discount the idea that a person who gets up and stands in front of a congregation would be teaching the doctrine of demons. But that's exactly what we're being warned of because that's exactly what was happening in the church in Ephesus at that time. The doctrine that was coming across was not the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It was the doctrine of demons. So what you're saying or what Paul was saying was that he was warning the church. This wasn't necessarily for the broader society. 
he was actually focusing, funneling what he was saying right to the church, which is very interesting because sometimes we think in the church, well, there's no demons. I mean, nobody can be demon-possessed if you're a Christian and, you know, all that stuff that we used to hear, you know, many, many years ago. But I think that's very interesting that he's speaking to Christians here. I'll give you the last word on that. Why would Satan bother with the world at the first place? He already owns it. That's true. And we just forget that all he is is just obsessed with destroying the church mm-hmm. because it is a, we are a kingdom. We are a part of the kingdom of God, and we're a threat to his kingdom. And he's going to do everything in his power to retain his crown mm-hmm. and his throne. And so why wouldn't we think that Satan would try to invade the church and that he would come through, as, as Jesus said, and as Paul, Paul also said, that he would try to come through false Christs. So we better have our antennas up, and we better pay attention, because we are in a time of unprecedented, in this culture, I'm speaking here uh, in the United States, we are in a time of unprecedented attack, demonic attack on the church to destroy the church. And I don't know whatever city people will be listening in, but as far as our city is concerned, I think there's more false churches than, than biblical churches. I think we're outnumbered now. It's a lot of fluff out there on top of it, and Satan just loves that because he doesn't want us to walk in our true identity in Christ because that makes us a threat and a danger to his, to his kingdom. So give us just a quick, now that you've kind of sparked a, a question in my head, uh, give us an idea of what a good church looks like. If what you say is true and that a lot of churches are full of uh, demons, teachings of things that are not right, not biblical, how do you know you're in a good church. Well, I could spend a lot of time, maybe a future podcast, on just this one aspect alone, but the preaching is really the center of it. And ask the question, is the pastor exalting himself or is he exalting Christ? And how does he do that? He stays out of the way and he allows the scriptures to make Christ alive to the people and that the focus is on Christ. And in that, there are a lot of things. Is he preaching dying to yourself, taking up your cross, sacrificing all for Jesus Christ? Or is he just repackaging what the world has to offer to us and putting a a fancy bow on it? So it has a lot to do with the pastor. Then is there true fellowship with other believers? Doesn't mean there's never any conflict. Sometimes no conflict is a bad sign. Mm -hmm. It means you have a bunch of robots. Sometimes conflict can be healthy. Mm -hmm. And then what about your worship? Is Christ the center of the worship? Or is it a performance where the people just sit and watch? Those are just some quick thoughts off the top of my head. That's great. Well, thanks again, Pastor Walt, for thinking out loud. There are almost 400,000 churches in America, so there are many choices. So what is your criteria for attending church? And I fear that some of you started coming to this church because you wanted a happy family. You wanted a happy marriage. You wanted happy kids. You wanted a good family relationship. And you realize, you know what, I think God could grant me that. So let me go to the church and ask him for that. But my concern is this. If that's your motivation for following God, then really God has become a means to an end for you. Well, then suddenly God just becomes someone you use and this means to an end rather than believing that God is the end himself. 
Well, City View is a church in the city for the city. Our services focus on worship, prayer, and providing you with the truth from God's Word. There's no spin when it comes to telling you the truth about life and how to live it according to God's plan. City View Church, located at 3041 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Our Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. Well, thanks again for listening to Thinking Out Loud with Pastor Walt McFadden. Tune in next week when we'll hear Pastor Walt say, Doggone it, why do I do that? We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org.